On this week's episode, is there too much Sonic the Hedgehog? Is it truly Bond? James Bond. And what types of pop culture board gaming should you play very soon? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Thank you so much for listening to all of our great shows. We've got Josh Peterson coming up a little bit later in the program talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. Ron McCallum in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire talking about the latest James Bond controversy. Plus also as well a clip from one of the latest Topicocalypse shows. But first, my good friend is here. He is one of the crazy kids behind Mario Party Wars. You got to check it out today. Mario Party Wars on Facebook, Mario Party Wars on Twitter. And of course, they do a lot of streaming out on Twitch at Mario Party Wars. Plus also there's first person shooter nights with Bad Luck Yelthin. And, and they also have their tournaments up there as well. It's my good friend, our expert when it comes to board gaming, Salvador Villa. What's going on, my friend? Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Gerald. Thank you for having me. I'm doing good, by the way. Oh, that's good. That's good. You've, sounds like you've had a much better week than I have. Mine has been like a roller coaster like you would not believe. But I am here now talking with you. First, I want to talk to you about board gaming because you are the man in a know when it comes to board gaming. There is a lot of pop culture things I wanted to talk about when it comes to board games. Obviously, the icons of pop culture are there as far as when it comes to board games for Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Star Trek, you name it, they're probably out there. But I want to hear your thoughts on some pop culture board games that you really think people should try for game night very soon. Tabletop gaming and pop culture as a whole has kind of blended together now. I probably can't think of any series at this point, like whether it's about games or movies or anything like that, that probably hasn't had some kind of interpretation and or adaption for board games. But uh, for the most part, so I haven't played... I would say too many pop culture tabletop games, but there are a few I feel like are great startups to at least getting into like, if you really are into pop culture and you really want to play them. Um, I have a few recommendations along with like those that I haven't played, but I've heard many, many good things about over the years already. But uh, so the first one, I don't know if you're familiar with Love Letter, but it's a very simple and classic card game where it's it's literally you play with other people and you draw and you play actions that's literally how your turn goes and the point of the game is to uh, get the highest play uh, the highest number card which is usually going from one through eight but like it originally just starts with the princess the point of the game is to find the princess but over the years i actually have one version that i really love love letter the hobbit from the battle of the five armies Love Letter has probably interpreted more pop culture than any game I know of for the most part. They have this, they have one for Batman, 
They have one for Munchkin, if you're already into like tabletop gaming as a whole, a bunch of others. And so a lot of them play a little bit different from like the stand, the normal one, but they're really fun games. They still keep that very simple kind of uh, charm that Love Litter is, which is just to be the either the last person standing or to get the highest numbered card toward the end of the game. And so like for a very simple game and one that has like a lot of adaption to it, I would recommend Love Letter for sure. Uh, and you can pretty much find it at any store, like any basic tabletop store. They'll have pretty much and almost any adaption of Love Letter, some more than others, but you can definitely find a bunch of them around in any store. Well, it sounds like they have almost as many pop culture references or pop culture versions of this particular game as almost as much as Monopoly, because you, you and I both know when it comes to the king of offshooting itself into various pop culture realities, Monopoly is still the king out there. Yeah, the closest thing against Monopoly right now is Munchkin, because Munchkin, I think, has like 20 years under its belt. So it's it's pretty old on its own for a game probably that is not nearly as popular as Monopoly, but it has so many different pop culture versions that you can just combine with, with the different decks. And for those of you who haven't played Munchkin yet, I, I do recommend that game specifically with a large group of friends. It's, it's a pretty fun game. Now, there are other games out there that I know you've been targeting. I know you've been playing because when you follow Salvador Villa at Mario Party Wars, he is inevitably going to show you that he's somewhere in the city of Las Vegas at some game store playing any number of, of board games out there. And you just came back recently from the latest national board gaming tournament, the one that was just happened recently, correct? Yeah. So this one was more of a like a like a little special, I guess like regional type of event. I don't know what's gonna happen following this because I've heard a few like financial problems that they're facing right now. Um even though last year was amazing for like their finals. It was really, really amazing. But uh we'll see what happens. But yeah, that was that was a fantastic day. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen Unrivaled, I highly recommend checking them out. Even if there's a little bit of issues going on right now, it's it's a really great idea what they're what they're doing, and hopefully to see what happens in the future with them. What was some of the games that was recently shown at the Unrivaled tournament? Because these are games that are not only very popular with the strategic hardcore audience, but they obviously have a line of of people that could be as well from a casual standpoint as well. Yeah, so essentially for a casual standpoint, I would say one of the most popular games, I would say like it, it's really popular, is uh, Exploding Kittens, which is literally, it's, it's just a simple card game where you just play against a group of friends. You all have a diffuser, and in the deck, there's like five or six lobs, and basically the point of the game is to play your cards as different actions and try to be the last one standing before the bombs uh, get you. And it's just one of those simple games. Uh, and that's what I really like about Unrivaled as a whole. It, it's games like that where, like, with some of them, you don't need, like, absolute skill. Sometimes it's just more about having fun. Well, Exploding Kittens has been huge now for, what, two, three, even four years going back. Mm-hmm. From what I met, remember, I know it's a big seller at Amazon. I've seen it not only in the top 100, but I believe also in the top 10 of selling board games or card games of its like as far as Exploding Kittens. Plus also Walmart and Target, I believe, have picked it up as well. I've seen it in Target stores, in fact, 
So it has crossed over into the mainstream and become a big seller in the board gaming world. Oh yeah. Yeah, that one, I would say that one tops most of the others that I saw for like what they were trying to do this year for Unrivaled. Although I competed in the Evolution tournament, which is a, it's a, that one is definitely more strategic, but it's a card game of creating your own species. I would just say they're dinosaurs, but you know, to each their own of how they want to interpret it. Cause they're, you're, they're basically called species and you basically use cards to strengthen your species and to either earn as much points by like making your, your species survive or attacking the other players using like carnivore to eat your opponent's species, among other things to gather points. And once the deck runs out, it's whoever has the most points at the end of the game that wins. I almost went out, I needed just like one or two more turns, but uh, congrats to the winners that, that did make it past. Well, we'll let them slide for this time, but next year I'm sure you'll get them. <laughs> now there obviously are a lot of games out there that uh, you know as the summer's closing and getting into the fall back to school time but there's still some time to play some great games out there what are some more recommendations that you have as for board gaming with you know pop culture related or not for some really top choices for the rest of this summer yeah well so i'm gonna go into maybe one that's pop culture based I know the Lovecraft series, so anyone who loves stuff like Cthulhu and, and the lore behind that, those kind of, uh, that kind of literature and, and stuff. I've played the Arkham series. There's like Arkham Mansion, Mansion of Madness, uh, Arkham Horror, quite a few variations of, of, the, of the different games that can be played for it. But I would recommend the Arkham series, whether it's like Elder Sign, which is like a smaller version of what uh, the others are. Or the one I've played personally, Arkham Horror. Not a game I would recommend to a beginner because it's very complex and it like setup takes a, quite a while to build. And for the most part, the game goes against you. But if you love like Cthulhu, if you love the Lovecraft lore, the Arkham series for sure is a great game. It's, it's a great strategy game and specifically it's a co-op game. So it's a great way for you and your close friends to actually get to play and try to seal back the ancient ones that are trying to escape and cause havoc to the world that for whatever reason that they were summoned. So for sure, the Arkham series, I know for anyone who loves strategy games and specifically pop games, I would recommend those that has like a pop culture feel to it, especially for the Lovecraft lore. I also want to ask you about in recent times we've, I've noted on our pop culture cosmos, social media outlets that Hasbro, which owns the rights to not only Dungeons and Dragons, but also owns the rights to Magic the Gathering, not only are they talking about doing something later this year or in the future, talking about combining game element between those two major icons of the gaming industry, but also the fact that Dungeons and Dragons, according to the Hasbro CEO, is doing better than ever before. What are your thoughts on all that when it comes to Magic the Gathering, the success of Dungeons and Dragons? And is there anything really that you play that matches or, or something similar as far as the fantasy world if they do not want to go exactly and delve into the, the deeper world of Dungeons and Dragons? So I, I'm not much of an RPG player, mostly because I don't have time to like create a character and meet up with my friends to like do very, very specific sessions for a campaign. But uh, yeah, for the most part, over the last, I would say, a good five years, uh, role-playing games has definitely spiked in interest. 
I would say specifically it's thanks to the tabletop industry and how much it's growing over the years with the amount of developers and publishers that are now entering the market. So many games that are coming out. And so the interest of tabletop gaming as a whole has really got uh, brought that back. And yeah, for the most part, Hasbro, Wizard of the Coast, uh, for Magic the Gathering, they, they've all been like trying to push their games to the market. And thanks to the fact that you have so many other things that's combined with RPG games, like, so like cosplaying is a, is a big thing because people love to cosplay and play role-playing games. You have things like Geek and Sundry that ha have started like live role-playing games that people can actually watch being streamed. The players actually act out their characters as they're playing their campaign. The, there's a lot that has evolved over the years, especially for uh, games like role-playing RPGs and, and things or miniatures as well. That has really pushed and gotten the interest more for everyone around, especially for those that maybe have never had, had the chance to play it, and now they get opportunities to do so. In terms of like games I've played that are like almost two RPGs, although I'm not like a huge miniatures fan, I do love certain miniature games, those that aren't like as as easily complex. One I've gotten to personally play in the past at MeepleCon is called Fury of Dracula. And for those of you who love vampires, it, it's a great miniature game of either you are on the, uh, the opposing team to hound down Dracula or you play as Dracula and try to avoid the humans and or hunters that are trying to come after you using a variety of different tactics on the board to, to play against. That's some great ideas there. Uh, as far as something that if you don't have the time to delve into the world of Dungeons and Dragons or Magic the Gathering, because those two games, as great as they are, they do take quite a time investment and also a monetary is one as well, that mm -hmm. this could be an alternative that people might see as, as far as getting into that, that at least delves into some of those aspects as well. I want to ask you, for those that are kind of maybe leery on, on getting into it, they want to dip their toes in the water when it comes to board gaming. Let's say they come and see you. They, they, you're there at the board game store. They see you there. They know who you are from all the great things that you're doing in Mario Party Wars and the, and the big celebrity that you are. They walk in there, and after they get your autograph, they say, Sal, you got to help me, man. You got to help me. I'm a novice to board gaming. I want you to lead me into the right direction. Your choice for, I guess, starting gamers, starting board gamers, as far as what would be a great place to start for people just getting into the board gaming scene. So I would have a variety of different ones, depending on like, I would ask them first, like what kind of games do you think you'd be into? Um, like short games, long games, um, it just, it would depend. Um, but games like, munchkin uh for a little bit longer sessions i would definitely recommend especially with the group love letter which i recommended earlier for a very very simple game one that people can just pick up on in like five minutes and they get to play and see the kind of interactivity and experience that tabletop gaming can offer exploring kids is definitely another great recommendation for sure for someone who's just starting off i would also say sellers of Catan, although that one is a little more complex if they if they're into more strategy rather than like simplistic, um, it's a for sure it's a great game I would recommend as well. And then for anyone who's like more about just literally trying to mess with their friends or trying to get relaxed into meeting new people, games like Apples to Apples, Cards Against Humanity, those kind of social card games that are just all about getting to meet new people would be another must for sure for those that are first starting off. 
Cards Against Humanity, that one has skyrocketed big. Like we were talking about some of the other games previously, plus also Catan. I know that has become a major seller. I see that at major retailers all over, Amazon, Walmart, Target. They've, I've seen them all carry that game. And I'll tell you what, those are some great choices that to get people off the ground running as far as the board gaming scene. He is the man among all legends at Mario Party Wars. It doesn't happen without Salvador Villa involved in it. And you got to check it out today. Mario Party Wars, they are doing some great things all the time when it comes to the video gaming scene, plus their love of Mario Party. And Mario Party has been named as one of the games that's coming out very soon from the Nintendo Switch, which I know at the time your group was really excited for and I'm really excited for. So tell me your thoughts on Mario Party coming up for the Nintendo Switch. The trailer came out, a lot of good reviews on it so far, but I want to hear from the people that love Mario Party the most. What are your thoughts on Mario Party coming to the Nintendo Switch? We knew it was going to happen, my friend, but uh, you know, it's nice to see that's just around the corner. Yeah, so I actually wasn't sure when Nintendo was going to release another Mario Party, given the way Star Rush and I, the, more toward the, that style that they tried going for in the most recent games um, and didn't do too well with most consumers. When I saw the trailer and even all, like everyone else in Mario Party Rush for the most part watched it, uh, they were just really excited for it. For me personally, they did exactly what I was hoping for for the most part in terms of what I feel the new route of Mario Party can become, which is a combination of what they tried with Star Rush, where they involved you basically recruiting characters that can add their own unique effects and abilities to help you win the game, along with like the whole concept of, I mean, they brought back the whole, you can go around on board on your own concept, which I really uh, thought was great. I wouldn't have minded the way Star Rush did it, where it was an open-ended board game where you all move at the same time. But uh, for the most part, I mean, yeah, they're they're coming back with the traditional and adding with the with new concepts that I feel like are gonna work. Not to mention that there's 80 mini games in this new Mario Party game, which I think is the highest amount of mini games any Mario Party has been given so far. So there's also gonna be a lot of uh, opportunities to really play like new experiences for mini games, and maybe even bring back a little bit of like the old school mini game charm that a lot of us grew up with when the franchise first began. That's right. It's coming October 5th to the Nintendo Switch Super Mario Party. I know you're looking forward to it. I know the crazy kids at Mario Party Wars are definitely looking forward to it. And you know what? Everybody else out there, if they have any affinity at all for the Mario Party series or just wants to go ahead and try something new when it comes out, definitely give Super Mario Party a look when it comes out October 5th to the Nintendo Switch. I will say this, it's great having you guys a part of everything we do here at Pop Culture Cosmos, the PCC Multiverse, and everything that you do for our shows. And and hopefully that we can not only continue it throughout the the entirety of, of our program, but as we garner new radio stations, as we garner new podcast networks for our syndicated networks, I just want to make sure everybody out there continues to know about and continues to hear the good word of your great organization, Mario Party Wars. So I'll tell you what, Sal, just want to wish you and the team continued success with Mario Party Wars. And again, out there, if everybody wants to know the latest and greatest going on with Mario Party, Mario Party tournaments, and just see you know some, some great things going on and interact with some people or just having a great time, 
Check it out today. Mario Party Wars on all the, the major social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch as well. It's been great, Sal, as always, my friend, and continued success to you. And you know I'm going to be hitting you up soon when I need more board gaming advice because, you know, after I get your autograph, of course. <laughs> no, and I'll be ready for that. I'll, I've got plenty more uh, lined up for you guys. Awesome, awesome. MeepleCon will be coming up, and and then maybe Unrivaled. You never know. That might come back again. So hopefully we'll Very wait and see. Exactly. And, and then, you know, people, you know, when it gets colder, they're going to need something to do. Board games is just a ticket as well, my friend. So I will be getting you back for Christmas gift giving, Thanksgiving, holiday season, and all that. So it's a great time again for board gaming at any point in time of the year. So it's just always great to you know have you aboard here talking all the wonderful things about tabletop gaming. Thank you so much for the your time, for your the opportunities, and just all your the support you've given us. No worries, no worries, my friend. As always, it's great having you a part of the pop culture cosmos. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's Gerald coming right back at you once again. Thanks again for listening in to all of our shows but it wouldn't be a cosmic crossfire without my good friend. He is the man of all tricks when it comes to Rob McCallum films. You got to check out everything that he's doing. And <laughs> he's doing quite a bit at robmccallumfilms.com, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, and Rob Mixob on Twitter. He's my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend. It's Rob McCallum. But. We're here to talk pop culture, and you're the man to talk to, as always, about it. So, pray tell, Rob, what's on your mind when it comes to pop culture? There is a class action suit that was against MGM and Fox that had to do with the release of the complete and all entire Bond set that came out. So, a while ago, there was a class action suit brought against the studio because they released an all-encompassing James Bond collection and one woman in particular said this doesn't include all films because it didn't include the David Niven a Casino Royale from the 60s and Never Say Never Again, the Sean Connery Thunderball retelling that went head-to-head against Octopussy in the Summer of Bond, which featured Roger Moore. Now, these aren't official franchise canon films, but they are James Bond stories. And the judge who uh, released a 45-page document said that you know, there's a lot of different ways that it can go, and it ended up being settled outside of court. And MGM and Fox uh, are basically going to provide almost $9 million in Bond films to end the, in the class action suit. These are digital rewards, though. So it's not like they're printing these discs that go part of this Blu-ray set that was released. They're going to give digital codes to the people that uh, want to have them as part of their collection. And the settlement also ensures that future packagings of the set will describe the contents of the set. So it's clear that any collection does not include these non-franchise movies in any way. What do you think of this this, uh, lawsuit to begin with? Does it have merit? Are these people being overzealous in in what they want? Or is is it legit? And do you think MGM and Fox agreeing to give digital versions of these is enough? Well, at least to a larger question, do you consider as a general consumer, what is canon in the Bond pantheon? I mean, you are a Bond aficionado. I've enjoyed the Bond films. I've seen 
all of them except for the David Niven. And also, wasn't there one with Woody Allen as well, or am I mistaken? He's in that one as well. Okay, so I ask you, man, what are your thoughts on it first? I'll elaborate right after that. For Bond, it's never really been about canon, right? I mean, the fact that they rebooted everything with Casino Royale and rewrote what canon was, it's not about accuracy of, of character or adventure. The stories aren't told in a linear order in any way, maybe from the Daniel Craig stuff on because they're building upon the previous chapter of that Bond. Maybe to a lesser extent with Roger Moore, some of the relationships he has with Goodnight Barbara Brock and The Spy Who Loved Me and then how she comes back. And I think of You to a Kill, there's a little play based on the relationship in the previous films. And with Jaws and some of the other smaller characters, there's there's a callback. But by and large, these are standalone chapters that can be played in any order and, and it's Bond kind of doing his his thing. So you could watch Dr. No uh, later or From Russia With Love later. And, you know, even if you look at the the George Lazenby on, on, a, on a Her Majesty's Secret Service, you know, that's another standalone Bond film that doesn't have anything, but it's part of the canon. It was official release from the franchise owners. So it's not a question of canon. It's a question of, of character and where it fits in. So because it is James Bond legitimately and legally, I think they're part of the set. You know, I think because they have the rights to that character and the, and the set is saying this is every James Bond film, then I think you've got to then you've got to kind of yield to what your packaging says. I agree with you on that. I think that if you have to go ahead and and if they do acknowledge in especially I think when it comes down to the Sean Connery film, the David Niven film, I think you definitely have to consider that, even though a lot of people consider the Dr. No, the the original Bond. I think David Niven with Casino Royale obviously fits into that narrative. But I think what it comes down to is that Sean Connery film that was made, like you said, in alignment with a studio film in Octopussy at that time. Uh, that's I think that's where it comes into line because obviously it was made as a you know uh, what what kind of like say a unofficial James Bond I think that's what it was trying to throw off as and James Bond the the name is referred to in that movie if I'm not mistaken yeah he's called James Bond and in where the interesting kind of backstory with that is it's basically a retelling of Thunderball because Thunderball was co-written by Ian Fleming and this other gentleman who I forget his name but that's what basically gave him the rights to remake Thunderball and call it Never Say Never Again. At one point, this person with the rights as well claimed character rights as well to own the James Bond character. That was later kind of thrown out that he hadn't done enough distinguishing features and and character traits, but they did allow him to contain, like to hold the rights of Thunderball, the story. And that's what opened the window for him to do his own story again. So that's why Never Say Never Again happened. Okay. Because so it is an official James Bond adventure. Exactly. Even though if uh, Sony may not want to say it, but yeah, I, if that's the case, then I think you would have to complete the whole narrative on that, including that story and the David Niven story as well. Now, are the digital awards enough for these people that bought an entire Blu-ray set with what 25 discs and they're just giving two digital download codes? I would actually, if I had bought the entire series, and actually I was contemplating at one point, I would actually uh, want the actual physical Blu-ray release as well. Yeah, and I think the only problem with that is that it gets messy because it's like, okay, I'll send you the two Blu-rays, but they're not going to fit in the set because that set is manufactured to have all the discs in display in a certain way. You can insert another page. 
you know, are you going to stick something to the back and to the end? Like, how do you make that work so that it's part of the set? I think the thing that you do is you get people to send their set in and you produce another set that has all the all the discs and, ex and it becomes exclusive to the people that are part of the class action only. Or you also do that alongside with a re-release, including those two actually for new consumers and you've or, because they've already stopped production on that original set, correct? I don't know, to be honest. I, well, they, I don't know. I don't know where, it's, where it sits. Well, that should have been part of the legal proceedings, and that should have been part of the settlement that they that they stop production on it and go ahead and try and create a new one if they want to go ahead and delve into a full box set of the entire Bond collection. It's still available on Amazon for two hundred and fifty bucks, so I'm not sure if it's actually stopped or not. You can never stop the reseller market. This looks like it's a pretty official release, though. So I'll leave you with that to consider. But yeah, I think uh, I think that would probably be the best bet. But do they want to reissue and re-put it out there? Maybe they could use that to their advantage in, in marketing. Now including unofficial Bond films, Never Say Never Again, and original Casino Royale. You know, and then and then include some documentaries on on how those films fit into it or don't fit into it and, and what the role is and like turn it into like a marketing plus. All in all, I think I think we're both on the right track there where for once that uh, they're part of the Bond series and people should have probably got more than just a digital code, which actually doesn't cost the company anything. It's just a possible paper loss on the digital reward. Exactly. It's just all a bonus material for them and maybe just paying out some residuals, which at this point probably is not a whole lot. Rob, as always, my friend, it's great talking to you. All kidding aside, truly appreciate the time you take for us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. And, of course, the Cosmic Crossfire. Mmm, nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. PCC Multiverse listeners, act now and get 15% off your order today just by entering the promo code POD2. That's P-O-D and the number 2 at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com. everybody welcome back this is gerald glassford from pop culture cosmos and game source and i'm here with my good friend he is also from pop culture cosmos and game source but also humanica media as well it's my good friend 
it's Josh Peterson. It's alive, man. It's alive. Correct. We uh, plugged some jumper cables into it, uh, rigged a shoddy electrical thing to the ceiling, waiting for some some lightning and thunder to come down, and uh, boom, game source is back. Just uh, stay tuned for the chasing of the monster to the windmill, which will be on next week's episode. Josh, I want to talk to you about all the love that's continued to be given to Sonic the Hedgehog. More Sonic the Hedgehog is being announced. Not only is Sonic the Hedgehog coming to a comic book store near you with a new comic book series, not only is it coming to theaters in the not-too-distant future with a movie already, Jim Carrey is already being attached as Dr. Robotnik, but also more revised versions of the original game series. They're coming to a new platform in the Nintendo Switch. With all this love out there that seemingly is apparent for Sonic the Hedgehog, I ask you, my friend, is there enough love out there to support it? Or is it just a continual line, as we've seen over the years, of Sega just bleeding this Sonic the Hedgehog dry? Uh, I think it could go any number of ways because right now Sonic is at a point where people are digging the nostalgia. You remember how stoked uh, they were when Sega got up at their conference earlier this year and announced that there would be a Sega Mini coming out. Uh, They didn't make any announcements about North America, but Sonic Mania sold relatively well. Was it? Yeah, that was Sonic Mania came out. And I know they they just started releasing physical copies today um, or this week sometime, if I remember correctly. But anyways... Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of love for it. I know like their attempts to bring it into the 3D space, like they did with, wasn't as successful as Mario, and I think that it kind of wasn't successful at all. And apparently, according to our top 100 list, people really like Shadow of the Hedgehog. So I think there's a formula in there that they just need to find. But I think until they do find that, they need to hold off on like these big things, like making it a feature film, doing all these other things with it, because. While you do want it to be something big, you don't want a movie to come out and have people be like, you know, that was really stupid. And then it just turns them off of Sonic altogether. Where where are you standing on this? I have never been a big fan of the game series. I thought it was all right back in the 90s, but 20 some odd years later, man, I'm still seeing versions and iterations of Sonic still come out. I've had my fill. I've had my film a long time ago, and I understand these entertaining new audiences now. I know my daughters love every now and then to play a Sonic game and, and get involved in that. But to me, it's just like, uh, I think, you know, he belongs in a time way back when, when uh, Sonic the Hedgehog was a creative platformer and was something different. But now a lot of things have been done in that type of realm that we've seen other games do better. Then anything that's been done in the Sonic series, there's only so much now that that Sonic can do that can be different that I think will keep audiences interested in the product. And making a movie is not one of them. Revising a comic book series is not one of them. Maybe just going, concentrating fully on revising the old versions and putting them out, like, like, like I said, on new platforms such as Nintendo Switch and focusing more on the mobile versions so that they're always ready with newer and newer versions of Sonic on your phone or your tablet. That might be where they should keep their focus on and rely upon 
rather than trying all these other things that for someone like me who isn't really that much into the Sonic franchise in the first place makes it even less interesting than before. See, I grew up on Sonic, so I, I always have a soft spot and I always hope. That's why I don't want them to make a movie because I would like to see something like I always imagined it would be fun to play a game where Sonic kind of had not I don't want to say open world, but an open type level system like in uh, Super Mario. You know, you have Mario 64, Mario Odyssey, uh, Mario Sunshine, stuff like that. You just have. You know, it's not linear. You have Sonic and you can run around to places really fast and use super speed to do jumps and stuff, but you're not limited to like a hallway type gameplay as you are in these other Sonic games. Like you have to use Sonic's abilities to like jump up into places, collect to collect power rings or whatever. Um, you know, put an environment in there where he can he can interact with it and maybe talk with some NPCs and stuff like that kind of Sonic would be fun because that's what allowed Nintendo to successfully bring Mario up into the, the 3D platformer world and then have him evolve beyond that. But there's a formula with... See, Sega's still... They're, they're so stuck in a style of gameplay. Like, they... You know, ever since they joined with Atlas, they've kind of been stuck in that anime, anime type thing. And I just don't think they put a lot of care into some of their older flagship properties while sonic does still have the favor of the people it's i think it's a foolish move to make a movie out of it because you don't want to make people sick of sonic or see him as like a stupid cheesy cartoon or computer animation movie before you're even able to successfully bring him into the modern era i agree with you wholeheartedly on that i just think it's not a wise move to do all this extraneous stuff when it comes to sonic the hedgehog and just focus on the particulars that could or are, are a safer bet on being a profitable entity and a profitable outcome as opposed to something like another comic book spinoff or a, a movie that could be hitting feature films that would probably leave a lot of bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, most likely. Now, it could be good. It could be, but I am not betting the, the house on it, that's for sure. Sonic Mania, I'm, I'm probably going to pick up uh, I've just got such a huge back catalog of games right now, but I'll I'll pick it up and I want to play it because I know that that was a kind of a newer iteration of Sonic, but still incorporating the old. But I'm hopeful that in the future we won't get something like Sonic. Uh, I forget what. Hold on, let me look what the last one is called. Sonic Forces. So I'm hoping we won't get something like Sonic Forces again, but we'll get something successful that will rate well and make people interested in Sonic again. Otherwise, you know, in the same way that they're able to bring Crash Bandicoot back to life. Otherwise, I don't see a future for everyone's favorite hedgehog. Yes, this is true. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Topicocalypse, the only podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Josh Peterson, one of your hosts, actually, and I'm joined here by Brian Kane, PhD. What up? It's real. 
Oh, it's damn gotcha. Hell yeah, it oh, is. Yeah. Laminated. It's, true. it's laminated. laminated. It's on the fridge. It yeah, and crayon. crayon. <laughs> is also it? joined here by Big Dog, the Shock Top Master. Wait, uh-huh. is that right? Chugger? Shock Top Drinker? Shock Top Fan? Just stop. Just stop. Just stop. <laughs> no, keep more, going. 20 more times. You'll get it right. <laughs> One of these will sound good. Negative ghostwriter. Uh, and I'm we'll also cut. joined here by Denial Nice Guy. What's up, buddy? Sadari. Nightski. What's up, man? Sad bitches. All right, Denial, you got a topic for us that we're all kind of excited about in the group chat this morning. Tell us about it. All right, so as he takes a picture, but first let me take a selfie. Hey, man, why don't you relax? Why don't you chillax? So thinking about like movies and TV shows that were that I didn't appreciate when I was younger, mainly, you know, like, but nowadays I can still quote them or watching them over again, you know, binge watching like Golden Girls as one. Shows ahead of Golden Girls. Times, man. Funny. It was so funny, but you know, it's like, Josh is I, a weird I never appreciated it. Girls. That's just Betty White. Mm. And then, uh, <laughs> like Forrest Gump. If you can't see Josh right now, he's uh, pitching a tent. It's nothing, nothing to see here. He's, 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 he's pinching. He's pinching. To see pinching. Here, guys. He's just pinching. Pinching. We'll pinch it off. And pinching let's go. his tent. Uh, and then, like Forrest Gump, like when I was younger and saw it for the first time, I was like, "This is the longest, most boring movie ever." Really? I've only seen it once. When I was younger, I could still quote almost like sure solid quotes from it. Still, I haven't seen it again. I think it's one of Tom Hanks's best performances. This is one of the things like it got like it took Southern me a while to appreciate simpleton. it. Yeah, yeah, it took me a while to appreciate yeah. it. Did you, as a kid, did you understand that Gen A is on like coke and heroin? Yeah, and so stuff like Gen that. A. Jenny. I love you, Jenny. I, I might love not you. be what a smart man, Jenny, but I know what love is. Mama said. Did you ever eat? You guys ever read at Bubba Gump's where they come around and quiz you on Forrest Gump? No. They've never quizzed me, but never they take there. forever. Their food's horrible at the one I've been to. Which one? I think Chicago. they're all the same, right? So Forrest Gump, Golden Girls. Yeah, so it's, you know, and it's just like movies, like you know, movies and TV shows that you never really, you know. Took the time to appreciate. You're like, oh, that movie sucked, or that TV show is blah. And now all of a sudden, you watch it again when you're older, or you still remember things from it. Like anybody got any? Entourage on HBO. Oh, that's such a great show. Well, you watch it as a kid, and you're like, oh yeah, a lot of sex jokes. And then you watch it again, truly like see what the story is of like the struggling actor and the the. uh, You never get the subtext of all the sexual jokes that are buried within. So there's like the ones that are you know, for lack of a better phrase, on the nose. Um, those sex jokes, like as a kid, all right, you get those because they're out in plain sight. But then in throughout the rest of the story or whatever arc is developing, right. you get that. You get definitely get an appreciation of something you can watch again as a kid that you just don't pick up on because you don't have that subtlety. Like Princess Bride. And, like, yeah, Princess, Princess Bride. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you... A lot of uh, Mel Brooks movies. Yeah. Mm. Blazing Saddles. Yeah. I appreciated that as a kid, though, but I appreciate it as a, as an adult for different reasons now. Right, right. Well, so do you know what really got me? When I was a kid, I saw Jurassic Park, but I didn't like take the time to notice the soundtrack or the acting or like the, the Jeff Goldblum. And then I watch it as an adult, as a teenager, and I sit there the, the first time that they pull Make up. Make your mind as an adult or teenager? Whatever. Uh, no, you know, no, I, 18, no. 18. Okay, I watched it when I was 18, and then I t- watched it, and they... They get out of the car and they see the dinosaurs for the first time. You see, hear uh, John Williams' soundtrack playing mm-hmm. in the background, and you're like, "Dang!" Okay, yeah, moving. Yeah, definitely moving. Absolutely. Yeah. What about? Uh, I think we were talking earlier. Big Dog had mentioned. Uh, there's even like kids' cartoons that you can go to, like SpongeBob. 
Okay. Dude, you can go farther back than you can go. Uh, Rugrats was good. Rugrats. Uh, Did you have you seen the Red, uh, Angry Beavers? Angry Beavers was great. Cat dog. Cat dog. Have you seen like the fan theory behind oh, Rugrats? Oh god, very tragic. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, so yeah. sad. Uh, yeah. Do you read the actual story behind Hey Arnold? No, I, yeah. I read something about that. Yeah. Remember Doug? Remember. But I do remember Doug. It was a weird thing, and he always did favor the sister. And then later on, uh, Arnold and Helga allegedly got married and all that stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't get that deep into my cartoons, bro. But no, right. the guy that wrote the cartoon actually said, like, hey, this is based on real people. Oh, but, like, yeah. What was, what was the first thing you guys watched that made you realize that, oh, these are funny and interesting in a different way. Let me go back and watch some of my old stuff and see if I can find it. Treasure Planet was uh, really that was just a good movie, dude. Just a, it's but nothing to me. It's, you you think watched about, it at that right age where it's like, whoa, I really appreciate these. Maybe I'll appreciate. I appreciated it way later in life, though. The, yeah. the first I, Mortal Kombat movie. Mortal, uh, yeah, oh, that was like groundbreaking, though. I, I saw love it when that I was younger. Then I watched that's it again. Those, like, oh my god, it's still standing. You know, that, no, that's I one of those movies like now where I, I can't watch it because it's so like you watch it on Blu-ray and it's ruined. like yes, <laughs> you see like you see no, the claymation no, no. I and dust all that. Off, I dust off the VHS player and I play the VHS there you copy go. of it in true form. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like you can't. I don't need Goro with high fidelity. Right, no. right. <laughs> well, it's no. like you can't watch Star Wars on Blu-ray well, watched, because you see the strings uh, holding up the Tie Fighters. I watched and stuff. the Dark Knight on Blu-ray on like a pl- like the best plasma TV you could buy, and I was just like, "You're ruining this movie for me." I can tell whatever. Really? I can tell, I can tell whatever. Yeah, Dark Knight. Whatever's fake, well. I can tell so what's fake. What's there a model, is can, such a just, thing as too much high def. There's too much high def, bro. I think with the technology, the thing is, it's just like looking at. Jurassic Park 2 when there's like CGI was there it looks really bad and when you look at it on a high def screen now it just looks really dated right so you see things even 10 years ago and it's like ooh that's dated you can tell that was a early late 2000s Dude, watch, movie rewatch um Independence Day no Ugh. I hated that movie to Wants begin with. Once was enough, yeah. I didn't like. Men, you <laughs> know what? Maybe it's because I don't like Will Smith. I didn't like That's Men probably, in Black either. But he does, Jeff, have, does have the Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum is, Jeff is a man. one of my buddies. He uses the same line in both movies. Must go faster. Must, must go, go faster. faster. Of course he does. I went to um uh, play poker with Jay Fisher. Yeah. And oh, uh, nice. in his bathroom, he has a, a shower curtain that has Jeff Goldblum laying sideways on a couch with his shirt undone. Oh, from Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Make you want to get one. Excellent. Uh, the first thing I saw that made me want to look back is Shrek. Yeah. Because Shrek came out right around the time, like the early 2000s, where you were just starting to, as a kid, you're like 12, 13, or I was, starting to get more adult jokes, and your humor was getting more beyond the, oh, ha, ha, you got hit in the face with the pie. Right. Yeah, you know, now, and you're starting you're to listening to the dialogue. Oh, you look back on it, you look at all the digs at Disney throughout it. Uh-huh. But you didn't really, like, you saw, like, oh, okay, yeah, it's a castle, it's like Magic Kingdom, but then you start looking at the little intricacies through there. Mm-hmm. And there's even a fan fiction about, or a fan uh, theory about, about the Little donkey, Mermaid? About and, Donkey. And oh, Donkey. About Donkey okay. being one of the kids from Pinocchio that that got off after turning into a donkey yep. on the island. Oh. It's so it's the only thing crazy about that is that it's DreamWorks and not Disney. Right, but do you know what I mean? But like they, they yeah, try but and tie together that idea that to tie it together, yeah. Because of, the, of some of the comments he makes yep. and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. It's crazy. 
People get way into their fan theories. That would be an interesting episode is to go through some of our favorite fan theories. It's like people who tie all the Disney movies together. I think the, the first yeah. movie, some of them are. The first Pixar movie where you got like the adult dialogue well, for me was when we when remember in, in elementary school watching Austin Powers for the first time. That's a great movie. I rewatched that Such a good movie. like a month ago. Hilarious. I need to watch that. The again. second one with Heather Graham is uh, my favorite. No, nah, but Liz Hurley though. Still. She is stunning. Still. She's so attractive, I don't even want to touch her. <laughs> but, but all right but heather yeah, graham heather graham heather is slightly graham. attainable oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah yeah for me it was i remember watching snatch i thought it was cool because of all the swearing See, like, it's a british it's a british Grab. movie oh. and they're swearing so like the swearing every other word and you. i was like this is cool and then i watched it later on as an adult and i'm and then that's when i truly appreciated like how tight the dialogue was and the the, uh, the the scenes, the editing and all that stuff. Snatch was the first first movie where it was like you had to, there was all these inner... I mean, it was a funny angle. <laughs> Huge. It was behind you. When you go in reverse, stuff comes from behind you. Tyrone. <laughs> He's a rally car driver, ain't you, Tyrone? But anyways, it was the first movie where you ha- it was a ton of intersecting stories. At least for me, there was. Yeah. It was... It was Obviously, and everybody always. What's that one movie? Everybody was about Crash. Fast and Furious. Was it Crash? Yeah, no, Crash. No, where no, everyone's no, life no. is intertwined. Where, where yeah. all the stories are like come together. Oh, that, yep. movie, that movie wrecked my head. But that Snatch was the first one for me. It, it showed all these different storylines, and they like do. Cross. You start to appreciate the complexity of story and yeah. dialogue, yeah. Yes. and more than just. So, what was the first movie you guys watched that made you truly appreciate storytelling? Like actual storytelling to me was Crash. Crash, okay. When I saw that movie, I was like, my mind got from blown. From a story point of view? Storytelling from right. a cinematic point of view. Yeah, yeah. The Godfather. Was it? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good Casino one. Casino, too. Oh, Casino's so good. If, had, if, if you had, like, what, four hours? Yeah. Yeah. The Just opening tapes. scene is always ruined for me, though, for Casino. Because you can uh, clearly yeah. see, at the last second, the frame goes to a uh, uh, a mannequin. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and it's it just it that that first intro it's like eh, but then once you get past that the movie's perfect literally perfect i think for me the first time i truly appreciated storytelling in a movie was kingdom of heaven with orlando bloom mm. Ooh, that was a good one because um, sure it wasn't what's eating gilbert grape no yeah ben right and Jim. did you ever see the it has helen mirren in it liam neeson uh Taken? Take, no, 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 this is like way, Love actually. way, way, way back. It's, it's about King Arthur. And, Dark and, Man. No, it's, uh, I think it's called Camelot. Liam Neeson was also in Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, I know. He was in everything. He trained Batman. He had an arrow in his testicles. Yeah. Was it First Night? You know, oh, no, God, oh, it's such a terrible movie. You know what got me for storytelling? Uh, speaking of Liam Neeson. Shazam. Schindler's List. Oh, really good. Gladiator. Yeah, I remember seeing Gladiator as a kid in the theaters. That mm-hmm. I remember that this is awesome. And that got, but that, so got me, that, got me, that got me into history. See, fair not. That's fair. Gladiator got me into action and appreciating a good action sequence. And then to me, Troy is one of the best. Dang, that has such an all-star cast. And then same with like Black Troy, Hawk Down. Troy seemed more was more like historically ac- accurate. No, well, not even that, but like actiony oriented. There was these big, yeah. big elaborate fights. Yeah, not as much of a story. Yeah. I mean, Gladiator was yeah. like a story. Yeah. Schindler's List for me, though, still. That's, yeah, like, that's, yeah, yeah. that's a story of a story. And that is heartbreaking. Or have you ever watched... I remember, God, I remember watching uh, the movie Patton when I was, like, when I was like six. It's a good poll. When I was like six. 
you don't get it. No, I didn't get it at the time, but then I watched you come it back again. And watch and it's, it. it's such a good oh, yeah. movie. Is there any movies you guys saw? Like Patton, I think, as a six-year-old, that's a little young to watch. I watched there, all kinds of there, crap when I wasn't supposed to. Are there I, any? I remember my grandfather taking me to the theater when I was a kid to go see Saving Private Ryan. Ooh, that's a tough one, man. I mean, like, and like Shaving Private Ryan. Shaving Ryan. No, Prince. no, Saving. That was when you saw it with your grandma. No, I visited grandma's house. <laughs> <laughs> Over or, the meadow and through the woods. Yeah. What were you saying, Brian? Can? I think I saw uh, T two. Terminator Two was the like when I was younger. That was the first R-rated movie I saw. Was no, but what was the did, first? But did you did the story affect you like that? Oh no. Oh. What was the well? So what was the first movie you guys saw, or like like ever? Like what you know? What you, as as a young kid, do you guys remember any movies that you looking back on it now you definitely should not have watched as a young kid? Land Before Time. Everything I saw every <laughs> horror movie before I was ten. Everyone. Did it affect you, Freddy? J- no. Well. I can go to not. Have I can go to him? not scary farm. I can watch any scary movie and nothing bothers me. Right, but as a kid, when Don't you're growing up, like oh, being ten, twelve, where you're like, uh, my, at my grandfather's house, the refrigerator was right next to the door to the garage. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, and the light switch to turn on the lights in the kitchen was right next to the door. So you had to like, I had to like bolt to the thing, hit the light, run back, uh, then run back to the fridge, grab what I needed, hit the light, oh my and run God. back. Cause I, Terrifying. I was terrified that Freddy Krueger was going to grab me from outside the door. Well, so it's like when I was talking to when we did the uh, one about uh, childhood Salty. hauntings. Salty. 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 Yeah, no, no. I was talking about, I told my wife how I brought up her whole it uh, freak out. I totally forgot that when she got home that night, she sat upright in the middle of her bed and would not fall asleep and wouldn't lay down nothing because it would be too close to the edge of the bed. Her dad came in and checked on her like five times and she was wide awake sitting in the middle of her bed. She was afraid to go to sleep because she thought that Pennywise was going to come up underneath the bed and grab her. Pennywise is messed up, man. There's a movie, it's an old sci-fi movie, I think it's called Invaders from Mars or something like that, where they like to control the Martians to control people. They kidnap you. Mars attacks, right? No. No, no, no. no. This, is like, this is like way before that. They drill this thing into the back of your neck and it, you have a you have a, an X band-aid over the, and I remember I, I saw it and I was like, Looking around, looking at people in the back of the neck, see if they had them. That's the, that's the tells. You have the band-aids in the back of the neck. So I'm when, like looking at everybody's back of the neck, like, let me see first. When I was a kid, uh, I watched this black and white horror movie with my grandpa. And it was the first time I'd ever seen, like, what was it? That my mind was open to the concept of someone getting, like, you can take a sharp object and jam it into somebody's, like, flesh. Psycho? So I, I think it was right. Psycho when she gets stabbed in the back in the, in the shower. In the shower. And so for like, uh, I think a couple weeks after that, like I would always walk with my back to the wall because I was terrified. How of many times? They do that in prison back. too, Josh. How many times when you go into the bathroom by yourself, do you check behind the shower curtain before you sit down on the toilet? It's like maybe sometimes you might not even notice you do it. Or you're standing in the shower and the, like the... Gotcha, bitch. In, the, in those situations, <laughs> what gets me... I just saying a tower in the bathroom like... <laughs> No, it's coming in here. After, oh. after snakes on a plane, I was afraid to sit on the toilet for a bit. I was always like weary of looking down to make sure because you do see stories of stuff like that yeah. actually happening in like Florida and fighting your so, coin purse. That's yeah. the worst. Oh, yeah. well, that's freaking Florida. Nobody likes Florida. Did you guys? Speaking of snakes, did you guys see in Indonesia over the, lady? the weekend the lady that got eaten alive by a snake? Second time in the same year. And yeah. I didn't realize. How does that happen though? Because snake, snake was twenty three feet long. Is it? 
are they fast though? I mean, c- couldn't They're you strong. couldn't you like yell and get help? It's a constrictor. So what it does is it bites you and constricts to take Dude, you away your airway. Movie, Anaconda. Speaking of movies, we didn't appreciate. Oh, back so when it movie. so when it squeezes you, it takes all the air out of your lungs, <laughs> so you can't scream and make a noise. Dang. Like, can you imagine just being slowly digested? Jeez, no. brother, not thanks. And then they see the snake. There's the video, and it's like snake, and it's like all right, big, and it's hardly moving. And then you see in the middle of it a person-sized, Sized like lump. lump through its stomach. So does, the ones that get me are the ones where they they eat the alligators, and the alligator wakes up halfway through, and he tears the snake, mm-hmm. and they both die. Yeah, because it's just open. Up. Yeah, jeez, it's terrifying. It's a plague. Does the snake have uh, enough stuff to break down a human body? Yeah, yeah. eventually. Yeah. Well, it's they take they, a while. Well, they break down what they can, and then they vomit everything else up. Jeez. Yep. But that snake probably. I mean, it's very unlikely that the snake would have survived because it's not moving because it's so full. And so the human normally what gets well, you they like found it. They had it. They they took a picture with her inside the snake. Yeah, but but it, but, but the point would, is, is it's not moving area. fast. Oh yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like oh I'm gonna go hide and it's kind of like a shark if it stops moving it dies. The great outdoors. It's yeah, the greatest. What? Ever. No, you really have. No. Okay. To be fair, I had not seen the Grand Outdoors until I met Josh Peterson, and then I watched the Grand Outdoors, and it's, I will forever the, thank Josh Peterson for is it on the, the Grand Outdoors. Or the greatest. No. I, don't I don't know. Actually, no, nothing. Know. It's on nothing. I think you can rent it on like, like you can probably rent it on YouTube or something yeah. like that for two ninety nine. Oh, Did you know that Josh and Justin had never seen Days of Thunder? <gasps> oh, that's such a. I watched I, that a few I, weeks I, ago. I've seen it now. I'm a dude disguised a dude playing. What? Oh, I met somebody who's never seen that. Oh, I've never Tropic seen Tropic Thunder. I've never seen it. That's another one. That's on Netflix. Okay. Denial. Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder, yes. that's Tropic Thunder an, is on Netflix. It's a yeah. great hour and a half. But you oh, got to watch Great it, Outdoors. I mean, it's it's Great Outdoors. It's, is amazing. it's gold. All right, guys. Any closing thoughts on this? I feel like we can go on forever with this. No, I think we're good now. No? Movies. Movies. All right, cool, guys. Well, you can, about movies. you can find this podcast and more on podbeanpodcast.com, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes and other great podcasting outlets around the globe. We have an email address at what, Big Dog? Topicocalypse at uh, gmail.com. Social media, we're at Denial. Facebook, Twitter, and the Instagram at Topicocalypse. I barely check out All right, cool, guys. No Snapchat. Until next time. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. That'll do it for another edition of the PCC Multiverse. If you have questions for us, please feel free to share it with us and contact us at any time via our social media at pop culture cosmos on facebook pop culture cosmos on twitter also as well pop culture cosmos at yahoo.com be sure to check us out on our monday show because it is our 100th episode of the pop culture cosmos and it's going to be a special in-house type of deal where i'm actually going to be recording it with josh big dog and and a whole bunch of other guests inside the inner layer of Humanica Media. We're going to be taping it next week as a special 100th episode of Pop Culture Cosmos, so I can't wait for that. 
For Josh Peterson, Salvador Villa, and Rob McCallum, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day right here in the PCC Multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day.